So welcome back, uh, Nick Catalano. How are you doing? Doing fine, Jason. Uh, great to be with you, as always. Yeah, um, you were on a month or two ago. We had a really cool discussion. I really enjoyed it, and I enjoyed listening to it. Um, we talked a lot about jazz, about comedy, and other types of things that you've done throughout your life, a little bit of mine. Um, I wanted to sort of, I made, I've made some notes about that. So I wanted to come back to a couple of things you said that I wanted to ask you about, um, because there were a few things that really piqued my interest. One was that you mentioned um, Gilbert Gottfried, that, because I'm a huge fan of Gilbert Gottfried. I, I just oh, yeah. think he's, like, I, I think he had a kind of a genius. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to be exaggerate too much, but he had this mixture of lowbrow and dirty, but also he was really smart. He was like really smart, but also he kind of played dumb and he told really dirty jokes. And I, and I've read a, I've read a lot about his upbringing and I've heard him a lot on the Howard Stern show. I listened back on YouTube to those things and it's, and I, I know he was also an artist as well, which I don't know if you know. And I want to just, if, if you could just talk more about, you know, you said you knew him quite well. I don't know. If sure. You, yeah. Uh, briefly again, and again, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit chronological here. Uh, way back in the early seventies, uh, 73 to be the exact beginning. Uh, just before that, I, I was, uh, as a professor at Pace, I, I was, done, uh, I was made vice president for uh, performing arts. So basically, what did that mean? We have lots of campuses. It meant that I would produce a season for the university in all of the arts. So I did dance. I did opera. I did drama. I did comedy. I did uh, concerts and lectures. And uh, you, you can imagine what a performing arts season is like. Yeah. And, and because there are many campuses to the school, there were many, many events. One of the events that I wanted, in addition to all of the highbrow stuff, was something for the kids. Now, this goes back a lot of years, about 50 years ago. Uh, and comedy was uh, making a kind of an interesting inroad in New York. Uh, but what I decided to do is to go to the two big showcases in New York, which were really kind of flexing their muscles at the time. The Improv and Catch a Rising Star. You know about that. Yeah. My good buddy from Juilliard, from when I was a child, was a pianist at both places. I mean, and this is a really tight, tight friend uh, who is also I've produced a lot of things with. And we've been in sort of different show business things for years. For, and he said to me, listen, there's a lot of really, really funny people here. Uh, you could do, a, you know, a, a night of stand up, blah, 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 blah. So, yes, I did that. And I went to Bud Friedman, who owned the improv. Uh, you know that name. And mm -hmm. I said, Bud, uh, he knew me, of course, because I had been in there many, many times. I said, Bud, I want to do this. He said, that's great. And I said, I'd like to call it an evening at the improv. And we still have the poster. So that's the first time that particular title was used, which it later right. became a, yeah. a, a TV show, as you know. Uh, Gilbert was there? Was he? he no, 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 no. This, no. Is way this is way before with Gilbert. I'm trying to give you some background. So, okay. From 73 on, I did at least six or seven shows a year wow. with four or five comics per show. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so you can see that this was going to be some sort of a crazy thing. What was I going to do here? What I did, I kept going into the clubs 
they got to know me very, very well. They were very wonderful, but both Bud Friedman and uh, uh, Ricky Newman. And sure, they were thrilled because I said, look, I'm going to pay these guys. And they had never gotten any money before to, for, for doing the showcases, as you know. Bud was initially a little, he said, what do you mean pay them? I said, well, I, I you know. Anyway, That's I funny. He's a club owner, right? So he's like, right. oh, man, right. this is going to bankrupt me. He's thinking, right? going to pay all these right. guys, right? right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, and and the line of, 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 of celebrity entertainers, comics, et cetera, at these clubs it never ends. Yeah. I mean, uh, all the show, uh, all the people on Broadway used to come in for different things. Wow. Uh, uh, names, forget about it. It goes on and on and on and on. You name a name and they were there for these things. So <clears throat> I'm stopping for a second. Any questions so far? No, no. I'm just, this is really cool. Yeah. Thank okay. you. Yeah. So we started and uh, the tradition was, a, it was a kind of a crazy tradition. A limo would would show up in front of Catch a Rising Star on, on a Friday night, and whoever was in town, yeah. okay, who knew Nick, everybody knew Nick at this point, whoever was in town would call me and say, okay, I'll do the show. So what we would do is meet in the limo outside of Catch, go and do the gig, get back to the club maybe about 10.30 or 11 so they could all do their midnight showcases. And then hang out and maybe have a bite to eat and talk about things and so on. This went on for 25 years. Okay. Wow. So I'm giving you all of that because I don't know that there's a comic that I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> all right. They all worked my shows. Gilbert must have done a dozen shows. Jerry, Bill Maher, Larry, they, the whole scene was on and on and on. And they loved doing the shows because they were in front of college kids who in the 70s were able to still drink. So you can imagine how riotous some of these evenings were. And I say riotous. Uh, I can tell you this. In the limo rides to the Westchester campuses of the university, with four or five of these clowns in the back jumping on one another's lines, yeah. the laughter became so <laughs> intense. Yeah. I, I remember at least twice when Rick and I had to stop the limo to go out of the limo on the Somover Parkway to go to the bathroom, ladies and gentlemen. That's how crazy this guy <laughs> in the car. So what can I take? What so, so I'm, I'm just I'm just wondering. So I'm like I want to drill a little bit on Gottfried. Um, he like you're saying a number of interesting things. One is that there was a lot of college kids, like university students, which I don't know if you know comics today. Jerry Seinfeld won't do universities now. No, he won't do no. them because you know there's this whole cancel culture, you know, and all this stuff. So well, we're talking it, about a long, long time ago. And when I started this, '73 is a long, long time. Ago. Well, it sounds like a much freer campus than we see today much. just from it what was, you're describing right it was it was much freer plus the fact is i guess it's fair to say because i had spent a lot of my time in in, in my life in, in music and show business and shows and things like that and so there were a lot of things that were left unsaid everybody trusted nick they knew i was going to pay them they knew everything was great this was wonderful series the word got out very quickly so it just went on yeah. gilbert Gilbert uh, was in the second wave. I wrote I wrote a book called New York Nights. Mm -hmm. It's a large, not large. I don't know what it is. It's two or three hundred pages. 
it's basically one of the several autobiographical kinds of things. It's the story of, New, of Nick in New York as a writer, as a producer, as a musician. Okay, and, and there are a billion stories in that book. Uh, I would love you to read parts of it because that will stimulate you for more questions. And yeah, yeah. There yeah. are three, ch there's three chapters there on stand-up comedy, mm -hmm. what, what I began to call observation comedy. And Gilbert was in the second section. So Gilbert started working for Nick uh, roughly, let's say 1981, 82 or three or something like that. And he did, you know, he did as many shows as everybody. I mean, they all did dozens of shows. Uh, Gilbert, of course, immediately appealed, you know, him, you know, his work with all these crazy voices, all of yeah. these yeah. very surreptitious allusions. Actually, and I don't suppose anybody knows this. I'm like, I know Gilbert really well. And he's a conservative, quiet guy <laughs> who is married with two lovely kids. Uh, he, and he passed away, of course, a couple of years ago, uh, which was really, really sad. But I mean, uh, quite young. I mean, I think he was yeah. in his early 60s when he passed last oh, year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 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 Yeah. So, uh, you know, as many comics are, certainly to the uh, uneducated eye, I mean, to people who don't know them, they're very schizophrenic people. Uh, uh, you know, they may go on and be the funniest thing in the world, but many times they're very quiet they're very uh you know uh it's solitary people. i mean it's it's something they're presenting to the world right it's uh you talked a bit about this with i think dangerfield the danger dangerfield was a sort of a great example of this where all of his body movements and you said i think you mentioned how you played uh squash with him or something and how he he was quite different in person i think wasn't that yeah I, 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 in the 70s we all started working out because uh, you needed to be in shape. So the, there was the very first health club in New York City in Manhattan was uh, the, the New York Health and Racket Club on 76th Street. And uh, that's where I went to start. Mm -hmm. My dad had passed away. I, I think I needed to make sure I stayed in shape. So I started and I, I've been going every three times a week for all those years. Anyway, Rodney swam. That's what he did. He was there swimming every day. And so I would see him. I went three times a week. I would see him three times a week. He was there five times a week. And, and he was quite different. He was, I mean. Very quiet. Yeah. Extremely quiet. Uh, a couple of times when he worked for me, which was very unusual because he, at that point in the 70s, was very famous. Yeah. yeah. And he wasn't doing colleges and so on. And it really wasn't until maybe 81 or 82 or 83 or whatever in there that he said, yeah, Nick, I'll do one of your shows because he, he knew me. Yeah, he was a quiet guy. I mean, he... From what I understand about him, he had had a life up through of like he was not famous and he worked very hard on his comedy throughout his 20s and 30s and then he got famous when he was in middle age apparently which by then i mean he was you know he was a previous generation but he's been an enormous influence i think when, when i think about rodney dangerfield he had a he had an extraordinarily we won't go into this he had an extraordinarily crazy childhood and Truly oh, yeah? oh, okay. I didn't know that. But 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 the thing about Rodney and uh, I'll talk about Rodney and Jerry Seinfeld particularly. These comics are scholars. They work yeah. and write 
almost every day, putting in hours and hours and hours. And even when they're not performing, they're writing. Yeah, yeah. People don't understand that. This is almost the work. A, a, yeah. a professorial kind of an activity. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's 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 the way they are. I mean, in in the book, in the New York Knights book, I wrote about the beginnings. We call it observation comedy. Very different from we talked about. You and I talked about this. Yeah, same. yeah, we did. Yeah, but but uh, but, but it became different. Uh, and I obviously <laughs> was not able to impart uh, obviously any humor. But but they they were always interested in the fact that I was teaching a history of comedy and all these different literatures. And uh, we got into some wild discussions about all of that in terms of timing and irony and allusions. And I mean, it's pretty sophisticated stuff what they were doing. Uh, I, I actually it, have a couple of questions about that because that, that that leads me to, it makes me think, I mean, you have what Aristotle wrote, you know, uh, poetics and different things where he talked about how to formulate comedy. There's ancient Greek literature. There, there, there were comedies in ancient Greece as well. How would we know about the timing if it like we were never we were not there to watch it? So I wonder. Yeah, if, but yeah, the, the, the scholarship is readily available. It, we're talking about the fifth century BC, and in the fifth century, in the late fifth century, uh, the the comic tradition which had already started begins to feature Aristophanes. Okay, yeah. you've heard of the birds, the clouds, yeah. uh, and Aristophanes is really the first person to use all sorts of interesting kinds of dramatic irony for comedy and timing. Do you know the play Lysistrata? I've heard of it. I've never actually read it. Yeah, maybe okay. you can talk about it. Yeah. As, 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 as we all said years ago, this is the funniest play ever written. Why? Yeah. Basically, what is it about? It's, it's, an, it's an, first of all, it's an anti-war play, which is an amazing. It's a comedy. It features the women of Sparta and Athens who are sick and tired and pissed off at the Peloponnesian War, okay? They've, they've had it. This is how the play starts. So what are they going to do in order to stop these mighty warriors from Sparta and Athens and so on? They're going to go on a sex strike. They're I've heard going... of this, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so now there are – I've actually – directed this play a couple of times because it's just such an important play it sounds silly and crazy but it's it's extremely seminal anyway so the big scene in the play is a, is, is is a scene which for the stand-up comics that that i'm talking to they love it because it's filled with dramatic irony and illusions and all the things that they do it's the same thing it's funny uh, you know comedy is comedy is comedy in the big scene in the play, there's a big wall in front of Athens and the women are all sitting on the top of the wall with their dalliances looking very sexy. And on the stage, walking on the stage in their mighty warrior costumes, you can picture this, are all of the warriors and leaders and famous, so-called famous Spartans and Athenians. And every one of them has erections as they're walking <laughs> on the stage. So when I say it's the funniest, it's the greatest yeah. sight gag ever done. I mean, I, 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 as soon as you describe it, you say to yourself, Holy It's hilarious. Stuff. Yeah. So, I just have a technical question. I don't know if you can answer this, but 
do you, is it known how that was done? Like, did they have to? Add, did they go nude and actually have erections? I mean, is that? I don't know. Absolutely. absolutely. The, the, they the, actually the, had erections. They were men. Oh, yeah. The, erections. Well, yeah. We, yeah. So it's almost There's pornographic a, in a certain sense. Well, almost. I mean, I'm not making a criticism. I'm just, you know, it's very uh, it's dirty stuff, right? I mean, Greek drama and Greek comedy is like uh, we could do 60 podcasts. Yeah. A well, lot of information. There's over a thousand presentations uh, just just at the Acropolis in the fifth century of, of plays. A thousand. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and when I'm teaching this, and, and I've taught it for almost 60 years, it, there's no end to it. And and some of the names that you mention are, are, are seminal names. I mean, these people knew what to do about, about drama and theater in ways that, you know, our people still don't know. And when I would talk about some of these things to the guys, they, they would keep their mouth shut and sit there and listen and take notes. Yeah. Because com yeah. comedy is comedy. Is comedy. Well, I can imagine Gilbert Gottfried taking something like that and just, uh, you know what I mean? The, the, him and Howard Stern or him and Artie Lang and just going to, with the thing about the erections. And, I, you know, it would just be absolutely hilarious, you know. Well, you so. know, once again, they, they, they were always, depending upon their particular level of genius. And so many of these guys we're talking about are, are the kings of comedy. I mean, these guys know what they're doing backwards, <laughs> yeah. you know, in terms of timing and sound and and rhythms and allusions and all sorts of different references and biographical. And I mean, all of this stuff is very complex. I agree. I agree. And it's, it's very interesting. You, you're bringing in this, um, uh, you know, this thing about Greek comedy. One of the things I've noticed with some people like Gottfried and Howard Stern is that they're from a certain generation and they all seem to have grown up watching a lot of television like comedic you know jackie gleason and all this kind of stuff it's almost like they didn't there's no there was no such thing as a comedy school but they they well, observed uh, very uh, carefully that structure and they really integrated it into what they did i don't know if you have any thoughts on that but yeah sure because first of all here in new york we're in new york here okay so they have forget about what you just said that there's all of that but they have the the catskill mountains tradition yeah and so all of the older comics some of whom began to uh, develop uh, an approach just like the younger guys did with observations. I'm talking about people like, I don't know if you know these names. I worked up in the mountains as a kid musician a hundred years ago. So I knew all these guys, these older guys, Freddie Roman, Frankie uh, Roman. Uh, 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 Mal Z. Lawrence. Uh, oh my God. Jerry Lewis. I mean, uh, Gary Lewis. Well, there's a huge name, and Frankie yeah, Brown and, is known. And, 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 and then all those hotels up there in the in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. That's where those older guys started. Mm -hmm. So the tradition yeah. of stand-up here in New York is 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 pregnant with all sorts of names. And these guys, some of these same guys that I'm just mentioning now, would come yeah. into the improv. Freddie Roman keeps asking me again, Nikki, when are you when are you going to keep doing this? And Freddie is 180 years old now, I think. He's still I, alive. He might not be. He yeah, might. well, it's pretty incredible if he, if he made it into the 21st century. But I mean, I knew, back, I, right? I, I'm talking about these guys as if they were my close buddies. And I have to tell you that what I was doing, starting in that time, I was finishing my work at Pace, teaching and coaching football and directing shows and musicals and whatever. And before I went home at night, I would go to the clubs spend maybe a half an hour 
talking business, auditioning uh, whoever happened to be there. And of course, the auditions were silly because they were all incredibly funny guys and gals. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's that's the, that's the way it went down. I mean, and it was just a laboratory for, for stand up comedy, plus the tradition of what I had just said to you, the Catskills. Yeah, uh, we we yeah. talked a little bit about that sort of the the vaudeville and the Catskills, the Jewish comics last time. I'm wondering if you can speak. A, I don't know how much you might know about this, but a, a lot of the I'm, I mentioned a minute ago these shows like you know uh, uh, the the honeymooners and all that stuff that those comics that generation, the Gilbert Gottfried were watching. That stuff also st it was from New York, and I mean, how intertwined is all of it, that? You know, you know, I, I, yeah. I, un unfortunately, Jason. When, when I talk in these interviews, and I've been doing them for fifty years, sometimes it sounds like I'm name dropping, and I really don't. I, I really don't. Please, mean we, you mentioned this last time, and please don't and apologize well, for it. You should brag about knowing these people. Well, it's amazing. I, I, yeah, but know? I mean, it sounds it sounds so silly sometimes and superficial. However, Jackie Gleason, when I was a kid uh, at Juilliard, his director of his band was a guy named Sammy Spear. Sammy was the director of the Jackie Gleason Orchestra, so. By the time I was in the union when I was 11, wow. by the time I was uh, 12 or 13, I don't know, right in around there, uh, uh, Sammy said, listen, uh, I, I'll get you a couple of shows. It was live television here in New York, five o'clock rehearsal, eight o'clock hit. And, you know, we would get like triple scale. So I did maybe seven or wow. eight or 10 shows as a child, as a kid. I was playing. This is as a musician. You were playing yeah, saxophone the, right, the, or? All the reads. Um, yeah, okay. Carnet, yeah. All, okay. All that flute. For the for the Jackie Gleason for for the honeymooners. No, 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 no. For no. the band on the TV show. The band on the TV show. Okay. Which played for the dancers, played for the guests, played for everybody. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. And another thing, Jackie, and Jackie was nowhere near this. He had no knowledge of music at all. But Sammy pitched Jackie and said, We'd like to do some recordings. So <clears throat> segue. From the 50s, there are four Columbia recordings, the, the Jackie Gleason Orchestra, which for like about 15 years were the best selling albums in Columbia. Uh, Bobby Hackett on trumpet and strings. And uh, it sounds almost like elevator music, except it's brilliantly arranged and nicely performed. Uh, up until a few years ago, I still got royalty checks. Right. Album. Wow. That's great. So the Jackie Gleason, Jackie. New York guy, went to school here in New York, a very good comic, as you know, great actor, etc. Uh, was not a hanger-outer, uh, didn't really do stand-up uh, in, in clubs and so much at all. He was very theatrical, and he was a wonderful actor. Uh, he was nominated for awards all the time for his acting. Yeah, he, from what I understand about Jackie Gleason, he seems to be an enormous influence on, like when I listen to other actors, like, you know, I just, just it's almost a dumb example, but the guys from The Sopranos, Michael Imperlioni and uh, the big guy, I forget his name, they had a podcast where they talked about The Sopranos and those two guys constantly would bring up the the honeymooners as like some of the greatest things that they'd ever well, seen. And, you know, it's so influential, you know, it's really... Well, if, if if I Love Lucy, which goes back to 1950, if those reruns are going on 73 years later, yeah. and, and they'll keep <laughs> Gotta say up. something, right? Yeah, you know these shows. Uh, Seinfeld, how long will... Uh, Seinfeld will go on until the planet burns. 
It's in, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it seems like Seinfeld was the, you know, my generation, let's say, a bit older than me. Seinfeld was older than me himself. But when I was when I was coming up in my 20s, that was the the honeymooners of our time was. Right. And it's interesting, the differences that when you observe the two shows, the way that the 50s, they're sort of these married couples, right, living in little apartments in New York. And then in the 90s, it was these single people. And, you know, you see sort of these social differences that play out. But those are far less important than the like the deep comedy in there. And I've heard, too, that Jackie Gleason, he was an incredible actor, but he never rehearsed. He had something where he would not rehearse. And and Seinfeld's father on, on Seinfeld was his stand-in. I don't know if you remember, though. his name was Barney, something, this big, huge yeah, guy. Right. Played right, his right. father. And he would stand in because Jackie Gleason would refuse to rehearse for reasons unclear to me. He didn't even well, like rehearsing. Uh, that, that may be true. I can only tell you that there were four o'clock rehearsals for the show. And I was on maybe six. Uh, let's say I was on between six and ten shows, mm-hmm. which is not a lot. But I, I never saw him not rehearse. They always rehearse. Oh, that's interesting. So that that was yeah, that was an interview with Jerry Seinfeld where he said there was the standard. Maybe he didn't rehearse this, but I don't know. That's interesting. Uh, it could be like I wonder some actors and some comedians might want to have a kind of spontaneity. They might want to bring something rather than sort of overdoing the rehearsing, just come on and do something. I, I don't know. There's different theories about how to. Uh, it gets very it gets very complex, Jason. As you know, sometimes yeah, there's there's a lot of free form, and if there are comics together, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, forget it. I mean, uh, one's one's punchline will suggest something to another one, yeah. and then that will yeah. suggest, and before you know it, I mean, uh, that's what 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 happened in the cars. It happened on a couple of radio shows we were on, also. Uh, that were absolutely incredible. Uh, did, did you ever think to record some of those? Maybe with I, have, I have. Do you I have, have some? Because I, those must yeah. be fantastic. I yeah, think. I haven't even looked at them in years, but I have. Because uh, you could probably like, sell them. I mean, you. you, you know, <laughs> I don't mean. I mean, you could get the rights from Bill Maher. I, I don't know because I tell you, when I listen to Norm Macdonald and Tom Green just talking like it's on the time they're just having a conversation it is so funny and it's exactly as you say they just kind of go off each other and uh, you know it's I, there's something about comedy that seems to be very high intelligence there's kind of like it's it's a way of spotting people who have a, a sense of humor I think it's there's the timing but there's also kind of you want to look for something that someone hasn't seen that might create laughter right it's kind of something unexpected well, yeah. right and and there's many many sources i mean again i wrote about this and 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 other people have written about it much more precisely than i have all of the elements that go into not just stage comedy but into you know the things like stand up comedy or vaudeville or any of these performance things they get to be very complex. When you start analyzing all this stuff, it's it's uh, it gets to be almost dumb academic because it's just <laughs> yeah. so cl- it's so complex. There's so many weapons that they have to choose. Their voices, their time. I mean, this it goes on and on and on. But the discussions with them and when they're working uh, become pretty interesting. There's a comic. I don't. You probably don't know him. His name is Bill Sheft. And I've Bill, heard the name. Yeah, I've heard the name. Bill, yeah. <laughs> amazing guy. Bill was hired the first day that David Letterman went to CBS and left the last day that David was on television. That's how great a writer Bill wow. was. Wow. Bill was 
Bill was the last Latin major at Harvard. I think you talked about him. That was I, I remember this. He was I, the last I, one I, to graduate. I, 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 yeah, I told you the whole story about introducing him with all these Latin references, et cetera, et cetera. So the more specific, the more uh, the more, uh, if you will, esoteric some of the humor got, uh, the funnier it was sometimes. With Gilbert Gottfried, I mean, some of those references that Gilly makes are are pretty esoteric. Really? Really? Yeah, I mean, I never noticed that with him. I, I well, when yeah. he was when he when he doing stuff is television is one thing, but when you're in the club, but the club things were were mm-hmm. were very interesting and were different than that. Live performances, what can you say? There's a comic that nobody knows. His name is Lenny Schultz, the funniest comic of all of them, and nobody knows him. Yeah. I mean, there's irony here that you can't believe. Nobody would follow Lenny on stage. He was a clown. He was, uh, he, he could do things. I can't even summarize his stuff because he was just so funny. If you ever see any allusions. Lenny he Schultz. On, yeah, he was on mm-hmm. laughing a few times. He did a lot of television. But the television that he did, does it even begin oh, to interesting. illustrate his great talent? So there was something Amazing. about him in person, like when you were there, that, that was not captured by the cameras? Is that not only that, but look yeah. at the censorship. Look at the censorship. Right. Only... Right. Yeah. That's the big thing. That's the yeah. big thing. But yeah. on laughing, I mean, he did he does things, etc. And I, I I mean they were just absolutely so hysterical. Uh, uh they were they were beyond description. You can't describe some of these comics. Because what your description is, no matter how brilliant it may be, it, it's nowhere near as funny as they are. Yeah. So he, so was he influential on other comics? Like, was he? Uh, Not really, because know. he was such a clown. He was, he was uh, extraordinarily uh, well built, uh, good looking guy who could oh, put on plastic, plastic faces that would make you so hysterically funny. He had a plastic face. Wow. He could do he could do things with his face. He had allusions that were incredible satires. And when he worked in a club, uh, you know, it wasn't vanilla and chocolate. I mean, there were all sorts of different kinds of allusions. And that's what I'm talking about with those kinds of things. It was amazing. Uh, people would not let at the Friars in L.A. one night. Years, a hundred years ago, Milton Berle, Red Buttons, Norm Crosby. There was a fight backstage at the Friars. Nobody would follow Lenny Schultz. Right, that, right. That's how he's, funny. He's too good. Yeah, you're going to stink. Dare, yeah. Nobody would dare go on stage <laughs> after this guy. So That's you, hilarious. And, and, and nobody knows who he is. So just to explain to listeners what that means, because some people might not understand that's a show business reference where – if someone is incredibly good on stage, they they blow it out of the water. If you go on after, you're gonna no matter how good you are, you're gonna look like you're stinking it up, right? I mean, you could be I, right. I, I, yeah, I produced a show. Oh, oh my god, I can't even remember. I can't even remember. <laughs> this is goes back. Phyllis Diller is the headliner. This is a live show, a week, and the opener is. The great impressionist, the greatest impressionist, whose name I can't think of, but you'll know who it is. Anyway, a week, Phyllis, and Phyllis was a big star. Uh, this impressionist that I'm talking about, uh, 
I can't think of his name, but he, he, he was on Carson a thousand times. He destroyed the audience. And mm-hmm. when she came on, she was nowhere near as funny as he was. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Now this had this went on for a week, and I'm in the band, and it's like, holy smoke. <laughs> but those kinds of those kinds of things happen, you know, occasionally. There's, there's there's so much unpredictability when it comes to all of this. Show business is very effective, as you know that. It's I mean, my God. It, yeah. It, it's interesting because it's it's very hard to predict what people are going to like. And, it, you know, people, comedians and musicians are it's a very tough business. And, and, and every once in a while, somebody seizes on to something that becomes a huge thing that nobody predicts. And then, you know, um, and it's I, it's it's interesting. And it's, it's partly because I mean, I had a musician, a guy I know on Sonny Greenwich, uh, and he was talking about how part of it is I mean, with music, at least. We, I hear music differently from how you hear. Everybody hears it in a subjective fashion. And yet popular music, for example, and popular comedy, too. You're trying to make something like a situation comedy that's going to appeal to millions of people, right? Which is almost by definition extremely hard because of the, you know, because a, a lot of comedy is subjective, right? You know, something that I will well, laugh at, you might not laugh at, right? Personal experience, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, the more universal which is one of the reasons why in, in a city like New York, I mean, uh, there are so many people, so many different backgrounds, so many different uh, right. situations right. for allusions and references and things like that. So that's one of the reasons why there's so much of it here. Although I have to tell you that after the 70s uh, with Catch, Catch a Rising Star and the Improv were both licensed for national franchises and they... And they they never really... Yeah, they never really the country. anywhere. Right. There were, yeah, there were many of them all over the country. Those guys did great. I mean, uh, you know. Well, they did well. Yeah, the, the comedians who went through that did really well. Jerry Seinfeld is probably the greatest alumnus of that, right? Um, Jerry, uh, what can I tell you? I, I, Jerry is a really, really close friend. Uh, and I've, I've known Jerry. Jerry's what now? 67, I think. Uh, you said he was your neighbor in the Hamptons? Uh, I'm so yeah, curious yeah, to know yeah. more about that. Well, I've been in the Hamptons forever. I have a house there, and Jerry's been there for 20 years. Yeah, Jerry- this, this, I wanted to, maybe I could ask you, because that was something else I noted down, was I mean, you're friends with him. He strikes me that in – is he that different, his public persona, from his private person? I mean, it looks like it's probably somewhat similar, but I could – I mean, again, you know him, right? I, I don't know. Well, he's, he's always been a very, very quiet guy. I mean, even his comedy is, is quiet. You, you might Subdued, say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. when he first started, and, and everybody in New York – I'm exaggerating, of course – that knew I was producing comedy all over the place – They'd call me and say, hey, Nick, we need a comic for this, for that. And people would call all the time because so uh, and many times they call and they'd say, listen, we have a we're having a wedding or a bar mitzvah or something like that. We want a comic, but we got to have a comic that doesn't say fuck. Who, who is that? <laughs> send, send Jerry Seinfeld, right? And, he, and I said, there's a kid from Massapequa here who's hysterical. And so I would send Jerry out for his hundred and fifty dollar gigs or whatever. And, and, and he, he adores that time because he enjoyed he enjoyed that a lot. And he, you know, that's when he first started to write and to work. But he's Jerry's academic. He yeah. writes three yeah. days a week, even if he doesn't perform for six months. He's out there writing. That's <laughs> yeah. what he does. 
he he talks a lot about how he he has this great discipline and you know he 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 gets up every day and just starts writing jokes and trying to formulate material and he's very and he's he's come out very publicly um almost insulting there's a famous case where he he went after actors it was at, it was at an awards ceremony where he 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 went on about how we venerate these actors for really not doing very much compared to comedians. He pointed out how comedians have to actually write all this material that people have to laugh at, right? Whereas, I don't know if that's fair because being an actor is actually probably pretty hard, right? But yeah, was, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you're talking about. I've not, I haven't heard this. Yeah, he he went on a long screen. It's very funny. I mean, it was an award show, and he and you know he made a joke at the end that you know uh, the only reason I can say all these insulting things is because I won all these awards, you know, and all this stuff. But he basically said actors are just basically pretending they're they're repeating lines they're told, which is true, right? I mean, that's what it's... And that doesn't take away from the greatness of, you know, these some great actors out there who can really perform in a certain way. But he's making a case that the creativity involved in, in show business, such as comedy or even you know, writers of drama, is more important than those who are in front of the camera and that we respect I, 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 the beautiful I, I, I faces I, more. I don't yeah. know. I avoid those arguments. Those those yeah. things don't matter. I mean, what are you going to say? Uh, you know, you, there certainly is an enormous amount of uh, skill that goes into great great acting, uh, as, as well as you know. I, I don't know what point he was making, but I would have called him on it immediately. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's it's. I mean, it's a Jerry Jerry, Jerry yeah. happens to be an extremely bright person. Uh, Queens College graduate. Uh, when he was in school, he did extremely well. Uh, and many times in other contexts besides comedy, uh, I, I've 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 had him in conversations uh, that illustrate his his truly 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 great mind. He's got a wonderful mind. So he's very like in person. He he likes to have complex sort of intellectual discussions. Of, like he's educated. I Is that I don't I don't want to no, insult him, but no, I don't <laughs> by know. By calling him an intellectual, but I I I say intel. I've said intellectual, but that that connotes unfortunately that connotes some yeah some highbrow thing that obviously really, he's not yeah. Right? yeah he went yeah he was around comedy as a kid his father knew everybody and so on and he was around he's and he says he's a student he's a marvelous student i mean uh you know what can i say he and he can make things he and larry <clears throat> can make things that are extraordinarily ordinary funny yeah yeah I, I, so, so you're, you're, it sounds like you're making a case about him and Larry David too. That it's, I mean, it's observational, but it's also there's an intelligence linked with an openness and a curiosity. It sounds like, right? Well, again, fair? again, rem remember that these are these are guys bo born and raised in this great show business tradition here in New York. I mean, so as children, as teenagers, I mean, they're constantly exposed to, to so much of this yeah uh, and and when they decided that this is what they were going to do uh La Larry David Larry we used to we used to make fun of Larry all the time Larry was a terrible stand-up comic that's what I've heard that. I, he's famous he, for that, that he, he, he would get up a, and he would berate the audience sometimes. Yeah, he, he would get into arguments and screaming. And of course, we were all on the floor laughing, but not the audience. <laughs> yeah. And that's why he got into writing. And 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 quite frankly, I'm telling us some like tale out of school, you know, but Larry has always preferred to perform rather than write. Is and that he, right? Yeah. yeah he, and he's not a good performer. 
He's just not good in front of a camera. I mean, what? But well, what about his show, though? I mean, his show is a his show is a, a really interesting thing where he's acting, but he's not. It's like it's like he took Seinfeld was supposed to be that, but he kind of took that and really amped it up to a different level in a certain sense. Well, he's he's not really like that. He's not. He's about, not that selfish and venal, and you know, right? I mean, I, I don't know. Well, when you talk about that show, that's almost not even television. That's like Larry and his experiments, and that's the way he is. I mean, he can take something that's incredibly funny. Uh, you know, if 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 I if we're sitting down and there are two pencils on the table, and I say, "Gee, this one is sharper than the other one," he can make it funny. Right, he can make stuff right. like that funny. Yeah, just... I mean, he's got incredible uh, ability to do that. When he was on Saturday Night Live, he paid some dues. Then he got a show that lasted less than a year on ABC called Fridays. Mm -hmm. And it was the feeble attempt to emulate Saturday Night. But he was in charge of Fridays and he did a lot of got a lot of experience with the network, et cetera, et cetera. So when he and Jerry got together and started to plan Seinfeld, which is you've heard this story a million times. He knew exactly how the deals were made. He knew exactly what pressure points. When the third year came around and Seinfeld started out very poor. Yeah, very bad ratings in the first couple of years. It was it was very much an experiment. I mean, they wanted to get one. By the time the third year came and they were ready for renewal. Well, Larry, Larry had said to Jerry, we are not signing anything in terms of the residuals. We're going to wait. Mm-hmm. And so when that when that came around and the, and the big deal, when I tell you, I, I won't even mention how much money is involved. In it. It's 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 unimaginable, <laughs> Imagine, yeah. unimaginable amount of money they put in that pocket because of this and because Larry knew. So, so this is really interesting. I, I think a lot of people don't know that about Larry David. Like we, we know Larry David a little bit from Seinfeld and then from his show. We know that he created Seinfeld. And, and there, like most people, I think, who are fans of comedy know that he was a, com- a comedian who was, you know, a little bit raucous. But this thing about I knew that he had written for Saturday Night Live, but that he had never actually had anything like none of his skits had ever gotten on the air or something. He had a this terrible of, time. Yeah. A couple, a couple of them did. That's a bit of a circus, that place. Actually, I haven't got an enormous knowledge. I know, I, you know, I know Lauren Michaels, of course, but I, I never really watched that show. Uh, and the reason I never did is because I was always laughing so hard in the live shows that I was doing. Yeah. Constantly, <laughs> constantly. Why watch sad. Saturday Night Live when you can actually yeah, watch uh, real forget, comics? Forget that but... stuff isn't funny compared to what I'm seeing. I mean, yeah. my God, I, you know, uh, it's hard to describe the intensity of the laughter. Mm. I'm using these examples as I've given you, but it's wild. Yeah, no, it's it's Larry. Larry's Larry's parents, Mister and Missus David, are exactly the people that you see as George Costanza's parents <laughs> on the show. Okay, they are. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. who they are. They would. They could come into a into the club and start screaming at one another because you didn't open the door for them. And they constantly screamed. That's how Larry was raised. So, so yeah. So Estelle, Estelle and Frank, who were played by um, Jerry Stiller and just, and, and I forget the woman's name. They were just yeah, she, so she, incredible. She, those actors in those. Yeah, incredible. Jerry, were, Jerry, yeah. Uh, Jerry, as you know, was, uh, 
doing his thing with his wife. Uh, uh, th they had that wonderful comedy team also. And I can remember their son, who's a big movie star now, when he was uh, walking around in diapers. That's how long I've been around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, so this basically, I wanted to know, this is interesting what you're saying about Seinfeld. He, He's, I didn't mean to use the word intellectual in a, in a pejorative no, no, I, sense. I, yeah. I, I mean, I was trying to, it sounds like, I mean, he, I can see the, the, the deep intellectualism with him with Larry David. I see a more of a, a more of when you're just, you know, a kind of a humbler um, background. I mean, I don't know if that, I don't know if he went to university. I don't know anything about his background. Well, I, I, again, I, I, I'm, I'm almost sorry. I mentioned university in the context because, you know, bright people are bright people are bright people. These people, yeah. these, these people were 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 drowned in comedy from the from their trip from their childhoods. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, comedy is their life, and so uh, you know, even when there are so-called serious discussions, I, I, I again, uh, I, I tell the story when I'm teaching when I was teaching Liz Estrada. There were twelve comics sitting at the table. Nobody was saying a word. They wanted to know exactly what what dramatic irony was all about they wanted to know exactly what the con so they're very serious people when it comes to their craft you know this is how they make their living uh, yeah I, I think that it's a common misconception that comedians kind of like it's it's this sort of lackadaisical you know kind of like it the reality is first of all many of them as you pointed out earlier with gilbert Gottfried and um and um uh, i'm blanking on his name the older one uh, who was on Johnny Carson all the time. God darn it. Anyway. Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield, right. Many of them, actually, it's it's actually a front. I mean, Gilbert Gottfried, from what, what I understand, I mean, he, everything, you mentioned his voices. He was famous for, for his voice and for other voices that he did. Apparently, he didn't, I mean, it's true that he didn't talk that way, right? No, not at all. And, and yeah. what, you have, what people don't understand is that, that when these guys go on stage, uh, all of them who are successful are extremely serious about what they're doing and in preparation, mm. uh, the voices, the, the timing, the, the ideas that they have for different situations in different clubs. I mean, uh, they, they could very easily make a discussion of comedy into a college classroom discussion easily. Totally, yeah. It looks spontaneous. Like when you're watching a stand-up comedian, it kind of, I mean, he's telling jokes, you know, he's rehearsed something. And this, there's things that might look spontaneous interacting with the crowd, but they're based on experience and, and sort of previous things where they've crafted things in certain ways. How many times does a comic have to bomb before they can be, like every great comic has bombed at some point in their career, right? I mean, it, that, it, it's, it's, it's so funny, yeah, and it happens all the time. At the improv, uh, there was a bartender who had a, a, a partner and they would go on and, and, and you know, they, would, they, would, they had auditioned and they would go on and performed. Uh, and uh, they weren't very funny. And uh, <laughs> but, but Bud said to Chris one day, he said, look, and, and Chris, they had performed for me once and, and it didn't matter what they did with me because the kids would laugh at, at anything, literally anything. I said, yeah, I guess I, I said, look, it's not as funny as some of the other stuff. What can I tell you? Anyway, Chris went on to become the president of HBO. Oh, wow. Yeah. And as such, uh, he when he became uh, president, uh, HBO was uh, showing wrestling. That was what they were doing. 
about wow. 30, okay. 35 or 40 years ago. He made it into the network that it became uh, with the shows, uh, the comedy, the permissiveness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, yeah, that kind of stuff happened. But everybody, even though he wasn't funny, he understood it. Mm. Uh, you know, he had me, he hired me. <clears throat> he hired me about 10 years ago to do a show on Star. He left HBO after a while. Some embarrassing things happened. But he became president of Stars, And okay. he said, Nikki, there's a producer here that's doing a show on Leonardo da Vinci. He wants to talk to you. So I spoke to this guy. Uh, I, I, I did some things for him, and he produced this show on Leonardo in Florence. It became a, a series, and it was as intellectual as anything you'd ever want to see in your life. On HBO. It was on HBO. No, it was on Stars. Stars, right, yeah. I yeah, mean, so H I, I, HBO really revolutionized, revolutionized uh, television, yeah, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So he was instrumental. In <clears throat> he was the president. Mm. He made he made it all happen. I mean, uh, wow. you know. Uh, so was he around when The Sopranos got signed? Well, this is way before The Sopranos. Before The Sopranos, okay. Way. Before yeah. The okay. Talking about the late seventies, early eighties. Okay, so HBO <clears throat> goes back that far. Wow. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know. I I understood as Tem I recall HBO. Tempest is fugitive. <laughs> right. I mean, I understand like it's home box office. So I understand its original mission was to bring films to television way back in the day, right? That's it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't just films, it was whatever they could do to throw it away. And wrestling, which is yeah. still a big thing on television. Yeah. I, I, I believe it or not, they have numbers on some of these wrestling shows that I <laughs> I can't believe it when my friends out in Hollywood and it's true. I mean it's been going on for 60 for 70 years. It's huge. Wrestling. Wrestling's wrestling. enormous. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The, the, it's interesting how big wrestling is. And it's one of these, it's a bit like country music is the biggest selling music form. It's one of these things that it's hugely popular among sort of working people and kind of, you know, there's a whole strata. It's not like a big sort of sexy thing that we think about, but it's right. Rick Rubin has talked a lot about wrestling, about how it's this constant drama that you never, it's unfolding over years and changing over time. And he's got the very interesting comments about that. And I, I didn't know HBO was involved in wrestling. That's the news. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's how it started. Yeah. And not just HBO, but a Showtime, a couple of the others and so on. But now here we are. Well, here we are. What thirty-five years later? I mean, this is a whole different world. Yeah, Jason. Okay. I have uh, speaking of HBO. I have a, a, a an executive from Warner Communications calling you. Wow. Okay. <laughs> going to call? No, no. Soon. Soon. Uh, in, a, in another ten minutes. Okay. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you. Uh, sure. We can we can do these things. We could do them together. I wanted to even do one myself. Sure. I don't know if I'll ever have time to do that. Uh. Uh. And and you and I have my God, we've canceled and back and forth. Yeah, I, I apologize. That was that was no, some, no, that's, some yeah, scheduling that's issues we too. had. Yeah, me too. Uh, could we could we talk about think about this? Maybe co-producing one or two of these things. Sure. Uh, let me know what your thoughts are because I don't want to do all of the work that you've done. I have stuff in my office here, which yeah. I mean I can't even begin to tell. Let me just show you. What do I have here? <laughs> You got what you got different. Uh, okay. I don't know. I don't even know what this is. <laughs> yeah, microphone. You got yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got special mics. I got this, that, the other. So I have all the equipment. I guess I don't know. Anyway, well, one, one thing I, I wanted just to close out the conversation with you now because I know you got to go is 
Um, I, I'm really, I, I really think these conversations are really interesting because they're kind of you're you're recounting these stories about all these amazing people. And I also want to say, um, our our friend and producer Rob Lewis pointed out about the name dropping because I, I asked him about this, and he, he made this interesting distinction. He said name dropping would be if I if I go to a club, you know, downtown, and there's Bruce Springsteen's in there or something, and I'm sitting next to him, and I go, "Hey, Bruce, how you doing?" and we talk for two minutes, and then later I say, "Yeah, me and Bruce, we hang out all the time." That's yeah. name dropping, but right. you're not name dropping because you actually know all these people, like they're like friends, like they really are friends. Well, with, yeah, I got, uh, let, let, right? let's 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 end with one story if we can. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, as far as that's concerned, I was. I hired them. I love them. I, I I will owe them my life for the laughter. But to be honest with you, I was never really one of them. I'm one of these people, uh, Jason, who doesn't belong anywhere. I I, I, I do too many different kinds of things, I, I, you know. And so yeah. uh, when they first did this, when they first went on that and they made the deal, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and Jerry, yeah, OK, Jerry and Larry are doing the show. It's on NBC, blah, blah, blah. And by the second or third year, when I would run into them, or we would talk about whatever the heck this was, because I'm doing a million things, that it got to be a hit. So Jerry said, hey, Nick, we're going to put your name on a show. And I said, wow. oh, my God. Nice. I said, wait, I, I said, wait a second, because they knew, uh, let's put it this way, they knew about my rather complex life in ways that I don't really <laughs> want everybody to know. And so okay, I said, so you declined. what are these guys going to do? I was going to get oh. crazy. What are these guys? So the conversation ended. They did their show. I didn't even see it. And then said, somebody said to me, hey, Nick, did you see the Seinfeld show? Blah, 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 blah. So I said, no, I didn't. Okay. So I, no. they sent it to me. And I thought, thought oh, my God, what, what the hell are they going to say about Nick Catalano that the world is now going to hear that's going to really get me into who knows what? So... It's a show. You'll see it. It's a, one okay. of their famous shows. They're they're in a Chinese restaurant and they can't get in. The, the, the waiter won't let the, the yeah yeah. That's you know a that. famous episode. Yeah, right, exactly. So they're standing outside and uh, some uh, a woman comes in. And she says, "Hi, Jerry. How are you? I love you. I haven't seen you in such a long time." And he doesn't know her name. Okay, uh, he's he's forgotten her name. So he, he's there, standing there with Elaine. Blah blah blah. Finally, the introduction comes and. And Elaine says, my name is Elaine Venice. And she says, my name is blankety blank Catalano. Okay. I, said, okay. <laughs> I thought, I thought, oh, God, thank God. I thought they were going to get crazy because let me tell you, I mean, I got stories that will put you on the floor about situations that I was in, was in with Larry and Jerry that are so absolutely hysterical. Uh, they, they could be front page stories. That's how insanely funny these guys are. Yeah. I mean, well uh, well, oh, that's yeah. a really cool one that, that you have an Easter egg in one of the most famous. Uh, yeah, and I, didn't, famous. and I didn't even see the show because I was so busy. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's great. Okay, well, listen, um, so we'll close it out for today. Next time we meet, if you could maybe just some of those stories about Larry and Jerry. I mean, you just want to recount them. A million, and we can do jazz. We can do a lot of different things. Uh, let me know, and we, sure. we'll, 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 we'll see co produce. How we I'll be okay. on my podcast. You'll be on my podcast and I'll be on your, maybe I'll be your first guest or something. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. But but I'd like to do it together with somebody and you're perfect. Okay. Thank okay, you. I, I, that's, Thank I'll you. take that as, as a great compliment. Thanks, Nick. I'll, I'll, it, I'll it, on the next it, one. It is, Jason. And thank you for your persistence and your organization. I, I admire it. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.